0: Hello there, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I am interviewing Aminder Dollywall, who is a native of Brampton, Ontario, and received a Bachelor's of Animation from Sheridan College in Oakville. She now lives in Los Angeles, where she is a director at Disney TV Animation, and previously she worked as a storyboard director at Cartoon Network, and also on the Nickelodeon show Sanjay & Craig. Plus, on the side, she is very well known for Woman World, her bi-weekly Instagram comic which she started in early 2017, and it was so popular she amassed nearly 200,000 followers from it. Plus, Woman World was nominated for an Ignatz Award for Outstanding Online Comic. And now, most recently, she's been publishing a comic about Cyclopses, which is equally as amazing. So, Aminder, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. Now, I started following you on Instagram back a few years ago when you're doing this parody of Death Note, which uh, Which made me start following you because it was so great, but also you're gaining some popularity for it And then out of nowhere you you like launched this like amazing woman world comic, which blew up really quickly And now you're almost at like 200,000 followers, which is ridiculous um, And now you're developing into a show, which is incredible. So Maybe you can, like, give me a short pitch for Woman World or, like, what is it all about and why do you think people like it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Well, I'm so glad you started following me around Mild Inconvenience because I am, like, weirdly proud of, you know, like, that whole subsection of comics I did. Um, but Woman World came, like, yeah, like, the moment I ended Mild Inconvenience, I just started on, like, I think, like, just a couple of weeks later on Woman World and I was just like throwing darts in the dark. So I had no idea what would be a hit. So it was just as much a surprise to me. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know, Woman World is a comic about a world in which, um, a world in the future, essentially. It's our world in the future when a genetic condition has um, caused the extinction of mankind. And it follows the daily lives of uh, some women in a small town. It's kind of like slice of life kind of comics. And I was updating that twice a week when I was doing it.
0: So, why Instagram, though? Like, w- w- you said you were shooting in the dark, but like, you were obviously shooting something in the dark. Like, why did you aspire to do this?
1: So, when I kind of uh, started doing um, Instagram comics, or when I started doing non diary comics, I guess, uh, I started with one called Henry Peter, which was a parody of. Harry Potter, except it was um, a scientist who discovers, or a wizard who discovers he's a scientist, and his name is Henry Peter. Uh, and at the time, my whole plan was, I was just like, I was working in animation, and you know, animation takes so long for like anything to come out, and I just wanted to like make things again. So I wanted to kind of form a habit of posting consistently. So I started Henry Peter, and my only plan for myself was put something out, like, daily uh, at the time. And those pages are horrible. Like, uh, you can probably scroll back far enough into my Instagram and find them, and they're 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 bad. And I'm, like, kind of proud of how bad they are, because the whole purpose of that was just so that I was putting something up daily. Uh, then after that, I kind of finished that up, and I was getting the idea for... Um, Mild Inconvenience, the Death Note parody, and there my goal was—it was kind of like a, a class in comics, essentially. So now I had from Henry Peter the the discipline to be doing something, and then from Mild Inconvenience I wanted to tell a um, an arcing story, and I wanted to do something in a slightly different style from me. So I wanted to kind of parody a style uh, and a tone, not just uh, the you know in in writing the comic. So that was really helpful. And again, I was doing that, I want to say daily, I don't remember, but like, you know, maybe I missed a day every now and again, but I was putting them up like fairly often and those were pen on paper. So I was scanning those in, um, maybe adjusting the levels, maybe adjusting um, like some mistakes I made, but it was quite literally just paper to Instagram. And with Woman World, I took those two things I learned of, like, how to, like, discipline myself enough to actually post and how to make something which has at least a little bit of an arcing story, how to tell, um, I can't say Woman World is long form, but it has enough of an arc in there that it keeps you coming back. So I kind of felt like I had enough background to start Woman World and the only reason they're all on Instagram is because that's all I knew. Like at that time, like we weren't using blogger anymore. Right. Or I don't know, maybe bloggers back now. I'm an old person. I don't know what's, what comes back. Um, uh, but Tumblr was, I I never understood Tumblr. I really liked the idea, but at that time I, I just kind of feel like I never got how to use it. Um, so, Instagram was kind of like my one that I understood how to use the platform and Twitter. I, I still don't think I fully understand. It's a little too fast paced for me. Everyone's a little too angry and I think you can only have like four images or something. Um, and I think the one benefit for Instagram at the time was the swipe feature had just been introduced uh I'm not sure if it was around when I was putting up Henry Peter, but definitely by the time I started Woman World, it was like pretty fresh and new and like a lot of web comic artists were getting into it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I guess looking back it kind of seems like you just started the wheels churning and posting to Instagram and wanting to tell stories and that's kind of what led you here because it's not like you just suddenly came up with Woman World and it was amazing. There's so much background and like I guess even years of of developing your own stuff to get to that point. Because sometimes when I look at your stuff, like it's such a, a simple but amazing idea, but what you're telling me is, it was just kind of like this thing that you made because you wanted to keep the, the stuff, or the posts coming and learning about storytelling. So I think that's- I Yeah, think that's
1: I was pretty addicted to like just making stuff. I felt like I hadn't been doing that in a while. Um, so that was where the fun was coming from for me. And now I'm getting a little bit more of a, kind of a want again to make something more, uh, pretty. I don't know if that's the right word, like maybe a little more artsy would be nice. But at the time I was like, I just want to make something where I can practice telling jokes. And that doesn't mean there needs to be color, um, In fact, like maybe I should remove every aspect which isn't helping me tell jokes better. And that includes not being like very clean in my lines and stuff because my general rule was um, I wanted to be able to rewrite the entire comic or even redraw it all an hour before posting that was my one rule, because I didn't want to feel like I had no choice, I've stuck to this concept, I can't change anything, it's, you know, an hour before, this is what I'm going with. Not to say I changed any comics an hour before posting, but that was just the feel.
0: I, I definitely feel that, especially because, like, if you, if you get caught up in feeling like you've put too much time into something, you don't want to give it up, even if it's a bad idea. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... And obviously it's been a big success and part of part of what I enjoy about it is it's so minimalistic. It also kind of sparks your imagination. Like in my mind, there's like a whole world and they like go to the mall and meet Paul Blart. (laughs)
1: that,
0: That whole story arc and stuff. But yeah, what makes looking back, I guess, like what makes you really happy about publishing it and kind of finishing that off?
1: Um. I mean, there's so much that made me happy. Uh, The, like, it might be sad to say, but the validation of people, like, liking it, like, quite literally, I guess, hitting like, but also just in general liking it. It uh, was lovely getting messages from people and, you know, just hearing... people who like you know sometimes I have a habit of thinking that like oh this comment was from a bot but then going to that person's page and like actually seeing that they're a human is just like extraordinary to me so the happy part was definitely like the interaction and the connection I felt to other people but also there's like you know a sense of accomplishment for when you do anything so like finishing something is always like really lovely actually posting that often was really nice um there's a lot of elements of it that I really loved and I actually like when I started it it was hard but as the comics went on building the world was really really fun Uh, I can't say I'm like very much um like I'm no Tolkien or anything where like I you know had like everything down before I started I before I even lifted the pen I had like all the maps and like etc but at this point i, I kind of do have all that i have a kind of like you know made fan art of my own stuff that's like the weird way I like would describe it where i'm excited by my like um, interactions with people and like stuff that they're invested in uh, that it's made me make all this content which doesn't actually even make it to the instagram right
0: well that, i think that's really interesting and so another question i have that comes out of this is Uh, There's this whole like big social media debate on like how to get followers and uh, like there was this social media influencer with 2 million followers who like couldn't sell 36 t-shirts that just came on the news. I don't know if you heard it. It's like authenticity with followers and just going for the algorithm. So did you like... You gained a lot of followers through this, but were you trying to play to the Instagram algorithm or make things that you thought specifically would get attention? Because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound like that so far. So um, I guess more specifically, like, are there certain times that you would post on purpose? Are you like making more images because you know that swiping and stuff like that helps, I don't know, get more engagement? Mm. Are you using hashtags? Are you like... Are you, like, uh, incorporating certain elements that are, like, in the news or political or anything like that that you know would get attention right now? Or are you just kind of just building this out of your heart, I guess you could say?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Definitely building it out of my heart. I like that. Um, But I also, like, I don't know if it sounds inauthentic for me to be saying that because there is a large following. So, I don't know if it just sounds like I'm just this, like, uh, like, it sounds fake coming from me, like, to say, like, oh, just make things you like. But that genuinely is how I started and uh, still how I, like, continue. Um, I've never I mean I shouldn't say never because someone will correct me I haven't used hashtags with woman world the only hashtag if you can if you go through it that you'll see is the hashtag woman world so that people can find the rest of them um I did use hashtags on the first comic because I launched it actually this kind of answers another question I launched it on international women's day And boy, let me tell you, the people who are searching the International Women's Day tag are often not the people who particularly like that day. So it worked very backwards. Um, I, like, got all this, like negativity and that kind of just put me off of putting any hashtags on it because I was having so much fun like making the comics so after the first one I don't believe any of the others have any hashtags except for hashtag woman world um it's not really I don't know my style to put those on because I don't know enough about the almighty algorithm or how any of that stuff works there's loads of stuff which I can guess um I think, like, comments matter more than likes uh, in terms of the Explore page and stuff. And there's plenty of people who come to me and say, I found you on the Explore page, so I don't know exactly how it works. Um, The organic growth of Woman World was literally people tagging their friends. That was pretty surprising to watch the um I could probably even because of the statistics that Instagram gives you you can probably like track the post and um comments of people tagging at so and so and the growth in my follower account so it's a little more um I find that a little more like charming um it, it was quite literally word of mouth uh that was really nice I think there's a whole bunch of um, theory out there about like yeah what time to post or you know who which you know moon you should pay, pray to or like etc i don't know which one of those is true um i just try and make stuff i like and i put it out
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i wish i had a so, better answer i wish i knew the exact so, key cuz then i would keep using it
0: so i guess looking back like what's the biggest thing that you learned or you would do differently next time i mean you're already starting your next comic, which we can talk about too, but what is like going through that experience, which I guess is kind of rare for uh, Instagram artists. Um, what What did you learn?
1: The thing I learned was um, you, you have to stay away from your comments because like, you're just like, it's so fresh when you put something out there, you've been so creatively raw and you put it out there and there is this like natural want to, you know, interact with people and see who's saying what, but it's better to just stay away and like let some time pass where you can look at something with a more rational head, because there's plenty of people who won't like what you post, and those people are often more vocal than the people who like your stuff anyway. So I've learned to spend um, just a little bit of time to myself before I look back on any of the comments. Um, there's plenty of comics where, uh, I, or almost every comic, I do read maybe the first two or three comments just because I have this massive fear that there is a spelling mistake. Um, and people on the internet love telling you when you spelled something wrong. So if the first two people don't say it's a spelling mistake, I'm like all good. Um, that's about it. And then like a month later, I'll come back and I will actually look at like comments, um, the DMs work a little different. I do get a lot of people asking advice or, you know, wanting feedback on their own stuff. Uh, I do try and respond to all those, but it is also good, again, to, I wish I had a better habit of doing that, like, once a month or, like, having a specific time at which I did it because you, you can get just, like, exhausted from responding to everyone. And I do feel bad when I respond to one person. I don't respond to another. Like there's this like natural guilt in it for me as well.
0: So I guess in, in terms of like the actual comic production, did you ever use comments as feedback for the next one? Or like are there are there things that you learned in storytelling that you you didn't know before or like experimented with and really figured out? Because uh, the comic itself is very polished and punchy. So, and now with your next your next Cyclops, Cyclops comic, it's almost like even more to the point. Like some of your panels are just like one comic in every or one panel, and everything is said right in there. So,
1: I think I did. Yeah, I I learned a lot from the audience about clarity. Uh, mm-hmm. Anytime I took advice from the comments or or people looking at it was because something wasn't clear, not because of, um, I didn't take storytelling choices. Like I already knew the kind of stories and jokes I wanted to tell, that was never gonna change. But when something um, gets gets misconstrued because it wasn't clear in the first place, that's when the feedback is really good. Uh, A very easy example is um, the first comic for Woman World is um, the mayor standing in front of a crowd of women, and she says, mankind is extinct. A a woman in the crowd puts up her hand and says, but what will all the straight women do? And the mayor says, well, how many of you skewed by anyway? And they all put up their hands. So I thought that was like, I don't know, clear, comic, uh, makes sense. Uh, I never expected so many people to assume that that first panel meant that the women had killed the men I was (laughs) shocked at how many people assumed that and it actually taught me a lot about where where people are you know with what they assume uh, like a more feminist comic would be about that the assumption that all those women had like gone around and like executed the men was something I had never intended and that was I just couldn't believe that was even an option people had come up with. So the second comic actually starts with um, the character Lana, who is the grandmother character, and she is summarizing essentially what happened, which is, uh, it's, I don't remember exactly what she says, but it's something like, it's been years since um, the genetic condition wiped out all mankind. And then she continues with the, the, the rest of the joke, the rest of the panels. But I had to put that in for clarity. <laughs> so there's been a lot of that, um, which again, very useful, very helpful. I know the world inside out and I forget what other people don't know
0: makes sense so from my point of view this comic has pretty much just been a success from the start but what is it actually like what is the actual production process from your end and like how what does it take for you to create one comic of woman world or whatever you're working on
1: one comic of uh woman world at the time that i was putting that out um it would update on mondays and fridays but of course, like anyone who's on Instagram knows it's, you know, whatever your algorithm, like it's tailored to you. So you don't know when you'll see them. Um, but my plan was uh, the longest part should be the thinking part and the execution of that thinking should be the shortest. Mm-hmm. So I would spend, if I'm going to update Friday, I just finished updating on Monday. I take Monday off and I get to just like live a life. And then Tuesday, maybe I'm kind of thinking about some ideas I have, you know, some funny words. I don't know, expression. I kind of like. Um, Just kind of do that Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe I'm like I'm using post-it notes. I do everything on um, the square post-its, and I maybe start drawing some stuff. It's all on one post-it note as well that I'll draw, like maybe the whole comic, and, and then I'll redo it. Maybe I'll do like I'd say like five to ten different versions of the same comic and then I start refining and so by Thursday I'm usually drawing for the Friday post and by the time I'm drawing I know exactly what I'm drawing (laughs) there's no guessing in that part maybe some um, expressions change maybe uh, a panel is taken out maybe um, wording or something is rephrased but it is just like finessing at that stage and um a last minute spell check <laughs> and then uh friday i would be posting and then again friday i would take off and then it's a little faster for the weekend turnaround for the monday one um saturday would be more thinking and then by sunday afternoon i'd probably be drawing it out but I think there was also a rhythm of like my Monday comics were generally shorter. I don't know, there's probably some like I can go back and find the exact dates, and you can. We can that. do some
0: analysis and yeah,
1: yeah. Well, <laughs> scientists. Um, yeah.
0: So you had a pretty disciplined schedule to produce this. We did you have in, and I know that you're also developing into a show now. Was that the original intention this whole time? Was to reach the point where you had material to develop into a show? Is that is that where this is going, or was that
1: Yeah, I always had the show idea and one of the issues with, like before the book and the comics existed, one of the problems is when you start a pitch with, okay, so all of mankind is extinct. People kind of go off in their own head about what that means and you have no control over how to... How to um, bring them back to your version of it. You know, how to be like, but but it's funny. It's fine. It's like, we're all okay with that. That's not what the story's about. People are usually already too stuck on that now that they think that is the whole story. So I just wanted to do some comics about tone. Um, So I just kind of kept doing, like, I I had a few ideas and I thought maybe then I'd develop it into um, do more of a pitch. But I put out these tonal comics and then those just started taking off so that I got completely sidetracked and I just started developing, yeah, the book essentially.
0: I mean, it led, it led to the same place anyways, but uh, so you did, you did put together a pitch and also a pilot. Can you talk about that experience and kind of what went into putting that together as well? And yeah. The results. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm still, um, so I'm currently developing it and that's been really fun, especially because I've had so much of, like, this unseen material behind the scenes. Um, but it's also, like, you know, it's... They, there's both the benefit of knowing what, you know, people have enjoyed, and also there's kind of the um, the shackles of that, you know? Uh, feeling like you... You don't want to, like, both upset an audience or do something which, you know, is unexpected, but also that they trust you to, to do that, that they they want to go on this journey with you. So it's been a little bit of me fighting with myself, which is genuinely what all development is, is a lot of you in your own head doubting yourself and then making something and then being like, oh, wow, I'm a genius. Yes. And then three seconds later being like, no, what have I done? It's just a lot of back and forth of that. Um, With Woman World, I'm having a lot of fun doing it because I genuinely love this world and it's been just such a journey already developing it. And I feel like I'm in such a good place to create um, a pilot script um, because I have so much material to go off of. There are times where I realize that I, I mean, everyone's a little bit of a one trick pony because I'll write a joke and I'm like, that's a great joke. And then I'll see like, oh, it's already in the book. Um, I already made that joke. And then back and forth in my own head. Well, do, can I do that? Can I reference my own material? Like, sure, I should. Like, that's exactly why it's there. But you know, it's just a lot of me in my own head.
0: Fair, fair. So putting together a pilot, like what exactly would that take? Is that something like you come up with like a three minute animation fully produced? Are we going to see color finally?
1: Uh, so I'm doing a pilot script, so that you know can only be taken so far. I don't know if I'll get to like a full um, pilot, so, I hope so. What so what is a
0: f- pilot script then, exactly, and what do you do with a pilot script?
1: So depending on the kind of show you're making, if let's say you're making an 11-minute Nickelodeon, roughly 15 to 16 pages of script, and that's what you'd be doing, and you'd be handing in a whole bunch of designs and like very clearly showing what the world will look like, um, a 22-minute pilot might be, um, like, I think 28 pages to 33 pages. Uh, and you're just doing the script uh, with a lot of, like, um, like pitch package material. So, like, uh, a world, maybe the uh, an end frame or, like, you know, a final frame to show what it could look like, character designs. There are a lot of studios now which do the uh, – this isn't – more, this isn't for particularly to a woman world, but in terms of the children's uh, animated world, I know a lot of the studios do color uh, animatics. That's kind of one of the paths they take, rather than animate uh, an entire pilot. Just because like it's like a little faster, and um, you can keep changing more stuff as you know as notes kind of come in to make it a little more fluid. But places like Cartoon Network do full-on pilots still, like they animate their pilots, but they do seven minutes. As you see, like their shorts go online, they're, they're seven minutes so that you're not getting lost in like kind of like the B story of a, of a world. You're just like getting to focus on the main element. So it's different everywhere. You kind of just have to go with whatever suits your show personally. And sometimes it might be worth fighting for um doing something animated like maybe that is better for your show because it's like very like crazy and you need to figure this out before you actually go into production or maybe it's very like straightforward it's you know your like kind of classic show if it's an adult animated show maybe it's like they're, they're not a lot, a lot of them aren't that different so maybe you already kind of know the show style and you don't need to do an animated pilot It just depends on knowing what you need and the studio to have that confidence in you.
0: Nice. Um, So what do you do with your script once it's finished? Do you just hand it to a magician and he waves his wand and you have a show? Or do you...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish I knew. Um, Yeah, I generally, like, so... I, I'll use my um, experience at Nickelodeon because I made a pilot there because my experience right now is being really different. Um, this is my first time in adult so it's been uh, like I can't really um, like I'm literally in the middle of it so I, I can't really talk about the experience because I haven't experienced it yet but um, when I was at Nickelodeon and I made a pilot there was like a lot of push and pull like you some days you're like oh, we're behind, like, you need to have your animatic finished, Uh, like, it was meant to be done yesterday, and it's really, really fast, and then you hand in something, and then it's, like, four months of silence, and it's, like, I guess it didn't need to be done that fast. Um, And then sometimes, like, you want to, like, you finally have the time, like, you have, uh, let's say, a a slow time at work, and you can really, like, focus on your development project, and so you're working extra fast, Um, but, you know, you don't get a meeting scheduled until, like, yeah, four months from now again. So it doesn't really matter if you work fast if you can't get the feedback you need. So a lot of like, a lot of busy people trying to work on the same project, unfortunately. When you are done something, there is like certain times of the year, I believe that they are reviewing things at the same time. When I was still at Nickelodeon, it was a little more time slot based. So now with all the streaming networks or streaming um, channels, I don't know what you call them, Uh, There's there's no more time slots. Right. So it's a little different. I don't know exactly how things are decided. But when it was time slots, it was literally like a show would end and you'd know that, hey, that like prime time slot is like opening up and the next big show is going to probably be in that. And that means that like it just staggers down until eventually, you know, there's so many positions open for shows. So it's very easy to see. Now it's like the Wild Wild West. I feel like there's so many options and so many different ways to make a show. Who knows?
0: So you mentioned you made a pilot at Nickelodeon. Can you share anything about that That specifically?
1: Yeah, I, um, I was like really young when I pitched to Nickelodeon. I had just been revising for, I think, like a year or something. Like I was a year out of college and... I had this idea, and I there was a great development exec there who was like, "Come, like talk to me the moment you think you're you want to like pitch something." And I went to her, and we sat down, like nothing like um, official. I just kind of like literally showed her things out of a sketchbook, and she was like, uh, "I was a couple ideas," and she kind of pointed at one of the ideas and like was kind of a a soundboard to me. She was just like, you were so excited when you were pitching this one. Like I could tell like, this is the one you're most interested in. So why don't you come back to me and give me a little bit of a more formal pitch with this idea. And um, from then, like when I pitched it the second time, they wanted to develop it further. So it was really exciting. Um, the weird thing is that I I was in development for so long and I started when I was so young that I, when I Pitched the idea was a revisionist and a lot less experienced. And by the time I walked away from the project, um, when it it didn't move forward, I got to the final stage, just it didn't get that final green light. But by that stage, I was a director. So it was very weird because there were times where I was trying to, it was like having a very odd time machine because there were times where I was directing and I was trying to fix issues that I had written into the basic story from, like, two years ago that, like, I was just too inexperienced to know that that would be a problem. So it was a lot of me fighting with my past self. Uh, but overall, the experience was really, like, beneficial. Um, I think there was a lot to learn out of failure. When it didn't move forward, it was, of course, really, really hard, but also taught me so much about how to, you know, like how to move on from that, that kind of a failure, but also what did I learn? What did I like? What would I do again? Who would I work again with? Um, how would I do things differently? Where should I have pushed more? Where um, did I not push myself enough? Um, even just like the basic of like, did I balance my time properly? There were times where I was spending, you know, a spend all night doing uh, um like writing a whole bunch of episode premises and it was like well was that like beneficial to my time when something is in development and the pilot is really all that really matters so i I learned a lot
0: nice yeah um i do want to ask you about kind of your prior experiences um i know we've talked a lot about women world so maybe we can just backtrack a little bit actually uh do you want to talk anything about your new comic just before we continue on
1: Oh yeah, it's been really fun to, um, to to put out the, the Cyclops stuff. Um, it's been um, I, I've been a little less disciplined, I feel like, with it because um, I've been experiencing a little bit of burnout. But I'm now that like um, I've had a little bit of time off, I'm kind of getting excited about art again. So I'm excited to kind of like, get back to it and not take like sudden stretches of like a a month and a half break and not doing anything um it's really exciting to be excited again
0: it's <laughs> good yeah and I guess what's interesting around this time around is you already have a very large following uh right from the beginning like the first comic came out and everybody was like "Ooh, what's this you know so.
1: okay so to me it's in it's it's uh, it works the other way as well, where you suddenly have a larger following and you now feel like you can't change anything you're doing because this is why they're following you. And it took me a moment to be like, well, like, I mean, how much like if they want to unfollow me, that's totally fine. Like having to come to that place in my brain was surprisingly hard to be like, if they all leave, that, that's fine. I, I still mm-hmm. made a book and I made Woman World and that's why I was there. Um, so the first few weeks of posting Cyclops stuff, I was definitely getting a lot of like DMs and comments about like uh bring back Woman World and like where's Woman <laughs> World? And then it's funny because like now I'm getting just like there's almost like a moment where like I saw the DMs and the comments slowly switch and it's like, where's the next Cyclops comic? Like what are you doing? Like hurry up, like post Cyclops. <laughs>
0: People are ruthless. Oh my goodness. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's really changed now that there's so much um, easy access to content creators, like you can literally talk directly to them. There's a, quite a demanding audience a lot of the times. And it's, it's up to you as that content creator to, to keep your distance
0: Hey, okay, well, I encourage everybody out here to go badger Aminder after this podcast <laughs> on Instagram.
1: Yeah, go um, ahead. I will not respond.
0: <laughs> well, I, well, I'm super excited to see where you take the Cyclops, Cyclops comic as well. Um, so but I do want to backtrack a little bit because, um, you know, everybody started somewhere and you started uh, some, somewhere in Brampton, actually, which is just down the road, I guess, from where I am right now. <laughs> Um, but you went to Sheridan back in 2007. Can you kind of go over your journey from Sheridan to where you're at now, Disney? So, you know, like how, what school was like, what the biggest thing you learned out of that was, um, and then getting your first job.
1: Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, let's, let's go through like the, let's go through my resume. Good.
0: Um, then I'll hire you at the end. How about that? Or, or not <laughs> hire you. <laughs>
1: I'll take an unpaid internship, um, well I went to Sheridan from yeah, 2007 to 2011, um, we were still doing our grad films on paper at that time and um, I'm really glad I got that experience, it was fascinating to learn how to scan and colour in and etc. Uh, but I had a great time in college. I went did actually animation fundies before I did the animation program. And I found that to be um, really beneficial as well. Um, I think Sheridan does a great job in um, having all the third years do internships. And uh, so I, I did an internship in third year. But in fourth year, Nickelodeon came to the studio and they were just kind of uh, promoting their internship program, because I think I've won quite a few awards. Uh, I don't know why they, I don't know if they ever even came again to promote it, but uh, they definitely came in 2007 or 2011, sorry. And they, it sounded so exciting. And Nickelodeon was like, just one of the places I like always wanted to work. I grew up as like a, like a Nick kid. So I had grown up on Hey Arnold and Kim and Kel was like my jam. So I was really excited to apply and I was lucky enough to, to get a position um, as an intern. It was unpaid. So I was making the choice to, I think I sold my car, like there was just a whole bunch of choices I made that like, hey, why not, like, might as well go have a really fun summer and if nothing comes from it, it's okay, I'll, I'll start again looking for a job. When I get back, at least I, I'll gain some experience. Uh, And I was, like, pretty exhausted from fourth year from having made, like, the film and also, like, the ups and downs of, like, industry day and, like, you know, feeling stressed out about that and then realizing that it didn't matter that much um, and that, like, jobs are – they come in waves. Like, every now and again, there's, like, just a a wave of jobs and sometimes that doesn't really coincide with industry day. (laughs) So I go to – Nickelodeon, and it was a whole bunch of Canadians, actually. I think there was, like, seven or eight of us. Uh, They just took a whole bunch of Sheridan people that year, so it was really fun. Um, From my year, it was also Cheyenne Curtis, so we got to, like, go down together, and then it was a bunch of third years who were doing their, their, um, like, the official Sheridan internship. Um, the benefit of being a grad was that when I went around and met people, I could also say, by the way, I'm looking for a job, which, you know, the third years can't do, or if they, no, they, I don't think they can do at all, because if you want to get a visa, you need to have a degree. Um, so I definitely took advantage of that. I showed my grad film around a lot, not <laughs> because I was that proud of it, but because, um, it was kind of like all I had to show. but. Um, I was proud of the fact that it just said my name at the end. It was like a very weird vanity thing of like, I did everything on my own. And at the time, I thought that was worth being proud of. Uh, So I got a job actually after my internship, I flew back to Canada, and I think I had a week to do a test as a revisionist on a show at Nickelodeon. And I handed it in and they hired me. And when I came back down, I asked like, so was it really to do with my like grad film? And the director told me like, yes and no, it was personality. I mean, that always is a big one, um, but also the grad film helped in showing them that I can finish something, that I can not only start, but finish it, which is very important in, pro- like in producing animated content. So I started revising at Nickelodeon on a show, which then actually got um, canceled a couple weeks after I started. So that was really hard to take. And I learned a lot about how interesting this industry is with, you know, how quick things can get canceled or something can be changed. Um, how green lights aren't always a, like the, the final say we got a green light for a season, which then got taken away. And I went through this chaos of being like, Oh God, I have to find another job now. And I was very fortunate that another show was starting and they, I think I tested for a revision position, but I, I don't know if they looked at my test. They took me from uh like just because I've already been revising, they were looking for people who knew how to revise. Uh so I got my second job on Fairly Odd Parents, which was on season nine, which if I can give any like any kid in school any advice, it is you will definitely work on season ones of shows, which will be very, very hard. But it is like the most beautiful and amazing thing to work on season nine of a show where everything has already been figured out because it is so relaxed and so lovely. And it was just a really nice time where I got to focus on myself a little more because I was... Now, further away from school, I was just, you know, figuring out exactly what I wanted to do. Like, do I want to be in L.A. for the rest of my life, et cetera? Like, is this, you know, do I pursue, do I want to switch over to art, maybe? Do I want to switch to, do I want to try writing? I had had a lot of questions, which it kind of warranted me the time to think about. And that's actually when I pitched my development project. So that started as well around then. Um, then that show Fairly Parents, ended and it was one of those shows where it ended and we had known for like, I think eight months, they didn't, you know, they didn't beat around the bush. They knew that this is the date that they will be done. Um, and so I had known for a really long time and I got to test for a lot of shows at that time. And because I had a much larger, Um, time to figure it out now I started off by testing for like all the shows I genuinely like to work on and then I slowly like as the end day got closer I switched over to shows and positions that I wasn't as interested in but they were jobs Uh, but the other thing is like you can spend so long testing and you realize like how slow the process is in general that I actually got a job for the first show i tested on but it took them that long to get back to me <laughs> so i did a whole okay. bunch of tests in between um
0: these so are I revision revisionist tests
1: yes i so, yeah so, or a lot but, of them were board tests actually
0: yeah. so what exactly is in a revisionist test
1: so it depends on the show um but usually a revisionist test is um I'm used to it being synonymous with a board test, where they like they feel that you're not quite ready for boards yet, but you're worth maybe training for boards. So a revisionist position is kind of an uh, interim position, but for a show like Fairly Odd Parents, a revisionist position is a little more cleanup. So they have a very specific test where you take uh, rough boards and you clean them up and um, adjust them as needed. Like adding in notes, et cetera, or putting things on model or fixing like issues which they might, you know, that they're used to seeing in animation. So it does depend, but I am used to storyboard tests being synonymous with a revisionist test, maybe like less pages you're being tested on. Um, So I took a lot of storyboard tests at that time, and the show I got onto was Sanjay and Craig, which was a board driven show. And that to me was like, exactly what I needed because at that time I wasn't sure if I wanted to try my hand at writing and then I got to be on a board-driven show so I am writing. Uh, I went there as a revisionist but they knew that they had a board artist I believe leaving in a few weeks and so they had me doing revisions for the first like I think eight weeks and then I switched over to doing boards Um, so they actually gave me a lot of time to, like, really get into the show, watch enough episodes, get a feel of how it worked, and go to enough pitches where I felt comfortable. So I started boarding on that show, and then the next season, I stayed for a whole season, and they got another pickup, and the next season, I ended up directing as well. So that happened much faster than I expected, because I'd spent so long revising, uh, which I, I really did love, and I still kind of fantasize about going back to revisions. Uh, then I, so I'm revising, um directing at that point um Sandra and Craig ends and then I went to a show called Pinky Malinky which I um
0: w- you can listen story- to Chris and Ricky on this podcast in an earlier yeah, episode the creators yeah. of, of Pinky
1: Malinky they are good people and it was really fun working on Pinky Malinky but uh, after that that was roughly when I my whole pilot thing was happening and I knew it was like a good time to leave Nickelodeon and I had been at Nickelodeon for 5 years now so there was like a lot of people who I had met as an intern and I knew them as like my higher up uh, like but they were now my colleagues and I hadn't quite like my brain hadn't caught up so it felt like it was a good time to reset and go to another studio so I went to Cartoon Network and I um went to JG Quintel's show, which still, I don't think it's out, or I don't know if it has even an air date yet, but um, called Close Enough, which was for, is for TBS and is adult, um, and that was a great experience, because um, it was not only a new studio, so I got to meet a lot of new people, but JG had, like, a very specific show, and it was a first season, it was quite relaxed, and, uh, you know, after having just come out of Um, development, and now making Woman World at the same time, it was kind of, again, exactly what I needed. So I had a little bit of time away from developing, but at the end of my season at Close Enough, um, Disney reached out about going to development with them, and I felt like it was a good opportunity, because, you know, why not? Um, So I went over to Disney TV development where they have an interesting process where you go over there and they're interested in your pitches, but you first go over there and help on someone else's pitch. So I was helping direct another pilot in development and you get to be in on all those meetings where you're watching how it's being, you know, how the system works, you know, who the people are, what kind of notes they give before you'll hopefully go and develop your own thing. In the time that I was there, um, Dana got her green light for um, the Owl House, and I think I was, like, maybe three weeks into developing my own project before she offered me a job to go over there, so I dropped my own development project and went over to direct on the Owl House, and I thought, hey, if I need to, I can always go back to development, but I just, like, knew Dana is, like, so talented that I want to go work on her project. So I went over there for a season and um, in between there I was pitching um, for Woman World and then um, now I'm developing the pilot script for that. So it's all just building blocks, getting you to the next place. Uh, uh,
0: I mean, so I have like a a, thank you for sharing all that. Um, So you've worked at a a lot of like very big studios in the States and, and gotten some like you're pretty far into your career right now. What do you think has really helped you stand out specifically in getting these opportunities? You mentioned one thing that uh, was your personality and also getting stuff done, but what has helped you evolve from role to role and really stand out to the people that you work with? Do you think?
1: I think uh, being a team player is really important in uh, animation. Um, I know Sheridan does like the the ruthless third year films, um, but, and they, you know, they they kind of mask it as this like big team building exercise and it really is important to learn how to work with other people. I have seen um, friends and colleagues who do start the job with an ego and they as much as they're working on someone else's show they have their own vision of the show and so they're trying to always implement that but You just can't do that. You need to truly believe in the vision of the creator or creators, and you want to make their show. So it's a lot of putting your own ego aside and helping or just getting in line with what that vision is. I think there's a lot of like, you know, uh, training and trying to figure out what someone really wants from you. But if you can put your own ego aside, that's a little easier um, being willing to admit when you've made mistakes or um, when you need help with something is also really important. No one expects like there sometimes you will get unreasonable deadlines. And if anyone truly expects those of you like that, that's just like crazy. They, they're, re- they're often there because some, something went wrong or someone didn't know something. So if you just tell the right people like, hey, this this um, something got pushed and there's no way I can like, finish that in this amount of time generally the response I've gotten is like wow thanks for letting us know we had no idea yes that makes no sense on the schedule let's fix that I've but I've also experienced people getting scared that like this is some sort of fantastical test being sent to them by the universe and that they have to like finish this assignment within the given amount of time and they take it upon themselves and they kind of um, force their own self destruction because they set a standard for how fast they can do something, which then they can never actually meet in the future, or they're eating away at their own health. So there's a little bit of honesty you have to get used to and being self aware, yeah. like knowing your own, you know, like I know what I'm not good at. I don't pretend to be good at the things I'm not. So knowing when to ask for help is very important.
0: Nice. Um, so also, uh, I'm interested to hear your perspective because you have worked at what I consider like the Holy Trinity of like kids cartoon experiences like the Nickelodeon Cartoon Network and Disney um, what is the culture like at each one of them and what makes them really different from each other or also very g- excellent to work at. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel like you could probably, like, make, like, a BuzzFeed test, which would tell you which studio you're perfect for. Oh,
0: my gosh. Oh um, they totally do that?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they really are very different. Although it is a lot of the same people, like, jumping around, um, they do have a different feel. Uh, I've always kind of equated it to um, you can tell which studio is making which show when you kind of walk in. The moment I walked into Nickelodeon, I knew that this was the place that made SpongeBob because it was really loud. Everyone's like very extroverted. Um, There's always someone like running around. There's like bright colors everywhere. Um, It's like a, just like a really fun place to work and everyone knows each other. I don't even know how they do that. But like I had only been there like I think two weeks before I felt felt like I knew so many people. Um, It's very much like a, say hello to everyone you you cross paths with kind of studio. Um, so that was really lovely and um, very exciting. Uh, when I moved over to Cartoon Network, that has a little bit more of um, like introverted feel, like people are a little more um, in touch with their feelings. And I think that really comes through in their shows. You can tell that that is the place that would make Adventure Time or Steven Universe, like it is um, a little quieter. There's like, really beautiful art on the walls that, they, that you could just like look at forever because it's like so um, like it's so in tune with like feelings and things like that. And so it has like this feeling of authenticity about it. Like no one at Cartoon Network, I feel like is ever trying to, um, this is me just like also projecting onto the studios, but it always feels like there's so much authenticity and no one there is trying to pander to children. They're just making what they like and ch- children happen to pick up on authenticity. It's it's um I feel like it really upped me as an artist when I went there, and then Disney has like a little bit of a more like in between, um, like I think like a show like Duck is a very like classic example of like um, Disney where it has this finesse like they have like you know the money to make shows which have this like beautiful finesse to them, um, but they're also like, like it is Disney so like there is like. 50 different people above each other stacked before like if you're trying to make a decision on something there's probably like a big like master boardroom where everyone walks in and like lays out the plan for like how to bring together their Avengers universe of like all the properties they own so there's a little bit more of a corporate feel as well. So which can sometimes also go hand in hand with like feeling like it's inauthentic, but there's so many great artists there that are always pushing for the authenticity of um, of the shows they work on.
0: Nice. I've never really heard the studios defined like that before, but it totally makes sense. Do you do you find yourself thriving more in one environment than the next? Because because you worked at all three, right? So it sounds almost like you evolve to the place that you're at. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I can't say, I've loved all of them differently. I worked at Nickelodeon much longer than the other two. So it you know it's where I started as well. So it has a very special place in my heart. Um, but I think at different times you need different things. So you should go to whichever one feels right. It's also something I've learned in my career is that it's never worth following corporations <laughs> or um, uh, productions. Uh, Like, it's just not worth it. You should follow people. Uh, And some of your favorite people might work on your favorite production, sure. But the reason you should be going there is for the people and not the production. So you could, if you've always wanted to work on the show, like, XYZ, and they finally, like, call you in, but then you also have, like, a friend or a mentor who you love working for, who is kind of trying to pull you over to another studio, I think it's better to follow a
0: person. (laughs) Nice, I like I like that advice a lot. Um, so, I d- so you are a director right now. What do you love about what you do? Like to go through all these experiences takes a lot of uh, like stamina and hard work. So, I've heard a lot from other people that you really have to love what you do, otherwise you maybe won't be as successful or maybe it's not for you. But for you, what is, what is that thing that drives you to to be in this.
1: I am. Um, I love working with people. That is just like the reason I love being in animation. When you're directing, um, one of the fun parts is what well, you have your your. Um, you kind of get to dip your feet into so many different like uh, pools. I don't even know what the saying is that I'm trying to <laughs> carve out here. Um, it's it's very fascinating to have this overview of an episode uh, versus when you're in storyboards or revisions you're maybe a little more focused on the thing just ahead of you, that episode particularly, or um, even just like the week before a pitch, you're just focusing on the pitch or that one episode. So I do like knowing, um, you know, where something came from and where it's going. There's like this nice omnipotence, I guess, about it. But one of my favorite parts is having board artists or revisionists pitch to you when they have an idea it's so exciting when anyone comes up to you and is excited about an idea they have and getting to experience the idea for the, or being the first person to experience it. It's really fun, even if it's like not the best idea that they don't even realize when they're pitching. It's just fun to like get to explore even bad ideas it's, it's very collaborative and exciting and fun sometimes for me now that I am a little more experienced to if someone pitches me something which isn't quite working to be able to figure out what is the thing that they're really trying to pitch, which even they don't know yet or how to finesse what they're trying to do, because I want my episodes and things to to have not only my voice, but my board artists, like it is is truly theirs. So I want to make sure that it is the best version of the thing that they are trying to do. Um, And then that the show comes together as the vision of the show creator. So it's kind of like this really fun in between um, phase. I get to be part of both
0: so you're on a little bit of a break right now and i just want to talk i I just want you to talk a little bit about that because i'm in animation school right now and it really is a grind it's like much more than a nine to five job it's more like a 7 a.m to like 10 p.m job right now and i i've heard a lot of when you're in the industry it can be a grind there too so how do you uh you know you've been in the industry including school for i guess over 10 years now um, how do you make sure that you're doing okay through all of this and not burning out mentally and physically?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm that great at it because I'm, I'm not. But you definitely go through phases. Uh, when you are younger, you just have a lot more energy. So you're willing to put in more time and stay later Because you're also not experienced enough that you're just trying to catch up with so many people. But I have had to learn to kind of like the one like we talked earlier about like my discipline with like posting and stuff. I had to kind of force myself to leave at certain times and to realize that certain times are just like your lunch hour is not an optional thing (laughs) and you should never consider it an optional thing it is an hour for you to just walk away from the work you're doing and just you know be on your own or be with friends just like get a reset during the day so it's very important to make sure you're doing those things I even this year tried um leaving while the sun is out for something I tried that was like a really vague rule I started the year with which um was really really hard like earlier in the year because it was like 4.45 or something which is as you know it would be impossible but I at first thought like there's no way I could like leave at um, 4.30 but what you have to do is then adjust your morning schedule and so I was coming in a lot earlier because I was like hey I kind of like how I feel when I walk out the building and there's still the sun out or at least it's like you know twilight time so it's got like got a really nice mood about so I just knew that that was a priority to me. So I adjusted the rest of my day accordingly. And eventually the sun started setting at, you know, normal hours. And um, I got to work normal hours again. But that was something I had to, had to do where, like, I figured out what I did like and how could I adjust the rest of my day. Um, there's two kind of ways I also look at, um, like, taking time for yourself. There's, like, literally your body, which is, like, you should go outside, you should get sunlight, you should get a massage every now and again. Um, I feel like the body is a little easier to keep tabs on because it is something very you know, physical, obviously. Um, but there's also the mental side where um, you should allow yourself to get, get bored every now and again, I think is really important. And being bored doesn't mean, literally to me means, just wanting to do anything except like what you're doing which is like um sitting down without anything like no tv on no phone like genuinely getting bored in your own thoughts is important um and not feeling guilty about it like that's something which you have to like almost train um it's like just getting used to having time off or, you know, taking that lunch hour and not feeling guilty. The non-guilty part is something you have to train yourself. Here's a random one. Um, I started feeling really weird about doing fan art, Um, but that is something my brain needs. I like doing fan art. There almost came a point at which my own art felt like um, it either had to be for something, like it has to be for the internet, for example, or it has to be for a portfolio piece. Your art doesn't have to be for anything. It can just be for the sake of art. And when I was in high school, I used to like love drawing fan art, and I still draw fan art, and it's nothing that I like post. Um, when I listen to audiobooks, I sometimes just have my sketchbook out, and I draw what I'm listening to. And it's just kind of nice. It's like a nice mental space to be in.
0: I like how you focused on simple habits that you can build up physically, like forcing yourself to take a lunch or coming out before the sun goes down and stuff. But also, uh, like the fan art thing. Like, for me, I struggle with okay, if I'm going to make something, it has to be for something because. I spent years doing my own stuff and nobody ever saw it and that satisfied me. So now I'm like switching gears to get into this trap of grinding for internet points almost, you know, like on right. Instagram, like link likes and comments and stuff. So yeah. It's, it's
1: really it's, like easy to get stuck in that because we are like animation is such a weird then diagram because it's where art meets business, right? So um we kind of get stuck in the business sometimes a little bit more of like the business of doing art and it all has to be for something and I have to be prepping for the next thing I have to be making this for this pitch or I have to get this many likes etc and we sometimes forget about the art and sometimes you can just make stuff for you and if you take the pressure off that this will not go online and there is absolutely no need for it to go online it's a little easier and you're um like, I will never show anyone my sketchbook. I think anyone who's, like, willing to show other people their sketchbook is, like, a crazy person to me. Because it's just, like, these intimate drawings for myself. And a lot of it is, like, garbage. And I know it's garbage. And I revel in the fact that it's
0: garbage. <laughs> and if somebody else saw it, they'd be like, uh, what is this? You'd be like, don't look at it. It's garbage. <laughs> um, well, yeah, thank you. Is there anything? I guess because you you've done the like almost the classic animation career. Like you went to school, you got your first internship, you moved to a big studio, and said now you're director. Is there anything that you would, looking back, kind of tell your younger self, um, or and and in the sense of like sharing with other students or people who are trying to break into a career or thinking about it?
1: Um. I don't know if this is, like, this isn't umbrella to, like, um, everyone, but definitely to Sheridan students, I would suggest making more films, uh, not waiting for fourth year to be your first film, or for third year to, uh, third year is a weird one, but, like, by the time, the first film you make is not going to be good, and you don't want the first film you make to be the year where it matters, <laughs> so... If I could go back in time, um, I would have made more films and made crappier films and um, just made stuff for the sake of making stuff Um, because like I felt like I learned everything in my final year when I finally got the chance to apply all the knowledge I had learned was when I finally felt like I really leveled up. And I, at first, walked away being like, oh, man, I wish we had to make a film every year. Like, that would have been, like, very um, beneficial. And then I realized, like, well, no one was stopping me from doing that. Like, I don't know why I felt like I needed the permission to have to make one every year. I would say, um, don't wait for something to be an assignment to do it. Just do it anyway. Um, and if you have graduated with, like, uh like 10 crappy films under your belt, but one really great grad film, um, it's better than making one mediocre grad film where you finally got to test out, you know, you finally got to put your money where your mouth is.
0: So, well, I think that's, that's really good advice, especially maybe any student, because you kind of are waiting for assignments to know what to do. Like, that's why you are in school, because you have made a conscious choice to take direction from somebody who's been established in the in their industry in the career. Um, but what you're what you're saying to me is like be entrepreneurial in in your own talent and animation and what you want to do. So even if it's if you want to get into to animated filmmaking, like, like make a film. If you want to get into storyboarding, like start doing storyboards, like nothing stopping, yeah. I guess, right?
1: Yeah. Stop waiting for permission and just do it.
0: Just um, do make, it. Make,
1: make, make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Nice. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to share? This has been a really, a really sweet chat and I've just enjoyed listening to all your experience and and perspective on things. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, I, hmm, I don't think so. I think that kind of covers everything I want to talk about. Um, yeah, I just hope everyone's out there creating and exploring, um, their art and, making some garbage along the way
0: (laughs) (laughs) words to live by make some garbage along the way (laughs) gonna put that on a little plaque on my desk no no, but i actually think that's really good advice yeah i actually Um, had
1: a friend who um who is an amazing amazing artist and i was in her office once and i had been pestering her to give me a drawing or something because i wanted an original from her And I, like, just jokingly said, like, oh, one of these days, I'm just going to come into your office and take one of these drawings out of the recycling can, Uh, because she had, you know, it was filled with Post-it notes. And she, like, very, like, seriously turned to me and was like, oh, but then it wouldn't be one of my drawings, because by nature, I have designated these not worthy of my name. (laughs) And I was just, like, such a, it was so um, beautiful, I guess, like, the intent of that, that, um, I, I think that's like how you should live by it, that like you can you can make a lot of stuff that you can by nature also edit what you put online or what you put in your portfolio or how you choose to present your art. So there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff, as I said, garbage behind the scenes. But, you know, you need all that to kind of stack on top so that you can finally make some good stuff.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much, Aminder. It's been a real pleasure to have you and chat. So thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And if you're listening and you want to get in touch with Aminder, which I definitely think you should bombard her with all your questions, um, and you can follow her on her Instagram, which is aminder underscore d, and I will include the link to that in the description of this podcast. So that's all for now. And thanks for listening. Okay, bye.